I'm Ardra Shepard, and this is Tripping On Air, a place to talk shit about what it's like to have MS. Normally, I like to make everything about me, but MS also affects the people we love. So weighing in from the partner perspective is Alex Hajar, my friend whose wife also has MS. Join us monthly as we dish about everything from symptoms to stigma. If you have MS or you love someone who does, we want to connect with you. MS is typically diagnosed between the ages of 20 and 40, the reproductive years, give or take. Whether you have kids already or you're thinking about starting a family, MS or any chronic disabling illness may impact how you parent. There could be a whole podcast dedicated to parenting with MS, and someone who is not us should totally make one because neither Alex nor I are parents. But Trippers, we are so pumped about our guest today, Rebecca Tossig, author of Sitting Pretty, a brilliant memoir about life with disability that I urge absolutely everyone to read. Rebecca has a PhD in creative nonfiction and disability studies. She's a teacher, a disabled mom. She has a bomb Insta. Rebecca doesn't have MS, but when it comes to navigating life with a disability, Rebecca has a lot of insight. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm like thrilled to be in this conversation with you both. Your book is so great. Our our disabilities are quite different, but there's so much overlap in the way we experience the world. And you articulate it in a way that had me responding out loud in real time, like, yes, exactly that. And it's so readable and entertaining and engaging. It's a great resource for the non-disabled people in your life to understand what we're going through. I think Alex can speak to that. I feel like it should be a required reading, like top five of my favorite books of all time. Thank you. Gosh. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's so much in there about, well, you know, dating with a disability and meeting people and catcalling. There's this one hilarious sort of passage in the book about this catcalling experience (laughs) um, that just sort of burned itself into my brain. But, you know, um, you talk extensively about your partner, uh, and and experience with a partner and what's sort of required from them and what's wanted and what's needed. Uh, so it's not only eye opening. I think for someone who's doesn't who doesn't know what's going on, but also for someone who's maybe new uh, or beginning that journey, uh, it's a guidebook and it was super helpful to me. Um, and I just really enjoyed it. I'm so glad that means the world. Uh, to know and you know like you're sitting there writing it like who will ever read this who are who are the people that will connect with this and it it really means the world to hear that your experiences with it were positive I mean we can't wait to read what you're writing next but right now we want to dig into parenting (laughs) many people with MS are living with so-called invisible symptoms and yet disability progression is always a fear and sometimes fear of progression prevents people with MS from starting a family in the first place. Culturally, we don't see disabled parents represented in media. Rebecca, how did this erasure impact your decision to start a family? Yeah, I I always struggle to articulate like how powerful the lack of representation can be to people, like people who do see themselves represented in the world. I think that's really easy to take for granted what it's like to see yourself in in all of these different stories. And I think for me, um, especially when it comes to disability and parenting, that erasure um, made it really difficult for me. I if I'm being honest, I I think I would say it still makes it difficult for me to see myself in this role. 
And I mean that in like enormous ways and tiny ways. Um, so like from the very beginning, like, can I do this? Can I be in this role? Am I physically equipped for it? Um, am I, am I cut out for this? Should I be here? Um, but then also in just like really specific, tiny ways, like, um, there's so minty, so many, uh, like quintessential mother imagery, like images in the world, you know, like, um, the mom who's like up in the middle of the night pacing with her baby, you know, bouncing and walking and, um, or like the mom pushing a grocery cart or, um, like the mom holding out her, her hands for the toddler to learn to walk, you know, like all of these images of what being a mother looks like. I don't, it's like, I can't fit into that. And what does it look like for me? I, and I, I really have struggled to imagine that. Um, and I think I'm getting a little better as it, I'm two years in, so I am literally um, doing it. Um, but it's, I still sometimes struggle to see myself as a mom. And I definitely did in those early days, like um, struggled to imagine how we would do this. Um, and my doctors never, never really wanted to talk about that either. Um, you know, I had doctors, if I would sort of ask at any point, it was sort of like, Oh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. You know, like who knows? <laughs> like, very because helpful. Thank you. <laughs> I think that's just it. It's like, who does know? I think there's a million books written about parenting, but it doesn't seem like there are a lot of resources out there or guidebooks for parents with disabilities. Right. I would Google, I did so many Google searches, um, with like, um, parenting and paralysis or, um, parents and disabilities and every, every like multiple pages would just be non-disabled parents with disabled children. Right. Like that's the only searches that would come up. So it was like, Oh, I, I guess I don't exist. You know, like disabled parents must not exist because there's nothing. Uh, I really struggled. And I, I really struggled to find that. And I, I do think that, you know, like slowly, I think in the years to come as, as more people think about this possible decision, I think there are a smattering of more resources. I think more things are sort of coming together. Um, but yeah, it's it's sparse, especially up against the overwhelming um, resources for non-disabled parents. Like yeah. our parenting books on like, um, like feminist parents and parents of twins and parents who only eat organic food. And it's like, it's all kinds. Yeah. And there's no guidebook. There's no, like you said, there's no guide, there's no playbook, mm -hmm. you know, and we need guidance. And I think that goes for a lot of representative issues in media and stuff. You kind of watch in movies, you think, Oh, that's kind of the appropriate way to act. But um, but there's no guidebook for parenting with a disability. And that's kind of terrifying. One of my readers commented that she was asked how she could even decide to have kids when she knows she'll eventually be disabled. Someone close to me said he didn't want to have kids because he didn't want to be a wheelchair dad. Alex's wife, Nicole, and I were both advised by medical professionals not to have kids despite there being no medical reason why MS should stop us. What advice do you have for dealing with, I mean, it's ableism and internalized ableism when thinking about parenting with a disability? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's just like a, such a punch in the gut. I, it's so real. It's so powerful. I think, you know, the book that we were talking, the book that I wrote that we were talking about in the front end, I wrote that before I was even knew I was pregnant. I found out I was pregnant like 
24 hours after I submitted the final manuscript for that book. So um, that was not on my radar at all, but I was writing all about ableism, right? Like I, I knew what it looked like and I could point to it. And I I was really settled in myself as a disabled woman. Like I, I don't think I could have been found out I was pregnant at a a better time, so to speak, in terms of my own, um, I don't know, comfort level with disability. And I was not prepared for how, deeply um, I would feel ableism and internalized ableism in becoming a parent. It, it knocked me over in a way I did not expect. So I guess maybe the first thing I would say, you know, like I'm, I feel hesitant to give it advice because um, it's so hard and I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, like for me, uh, I think if I were to do this again, um, just being able to expect that a little bit more, like to know even if you are coming from a place of feeling really settled in your body, um, it's a new role. It's a it's entering into a new space. So there's just this vulnerability um, in trying something new. And and the kind of ableism that I received and felt in the world in this new role, um, if I would have experienced that kind of, um, I don't know, microaggression, let's say, for example, um, just as myself, not as a parent, but just as myself, um, some of those things would have just kind of rolled off my back, like, ugh, annoying, let's move on. Um, but when you're in a new role, I think that it can it can be a lot harder to process or let it roll off your back. So I guess the first thing I would say is just know that's an adjustment. That's going to be hard. That like having, um, I think that expectation of knowing that this will feel different and could be really hard because of that would be helpful. I was not prepared. I did not expect that. Um, but I think beyond that, just practically, I think becoming very aware of and being able to point to and name something as ableism is really helpful. Um, I think so often in the world that we live in, ableism is so deeply a part of um, the fabric of our of our constructions, our stories, our um, beliefs that it can just feel true. It can just feel like facts, right? It can just feel like, oh, this is, um, you know, being a wheelchair dad is worse than not being, you know, like than a standing dad yeah. or, um, or what these doctors are saying that must be true. They're, it must be the only way to think about it. And I think being able to identify it and see it and name it and say like, oh, that is a story that people are telling and have made up and we've ascribed meaning to and added stigma onto and being able to point to it, even if it still stings, um, has been helpful to me. And I guess the I last- love that point, Rebecca. <laughs> I love that point because no, but so often, you know, these comments get a pass of, oh, oh yeah. well, they mean well, right? Or they're just like concerned about you or the kid or or you, like all of these things get mm-hmm. a pass mm-hmm. without being able to say, you know what, maybe we should investigate this a little bit. Maybe that comment is kind of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And maybe they don't actually know because I'm the one with this body. Um, I think I, I probably know a whole lot more about um, what I am and am not capable of or how I could imagine a different way of doing this than these other people. Um, it, 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 I don't think that we are really uh, encouraged to think about it that way. And we have a million other voices that are sort of encouraging us to think about it this other way. So I guess the last thing I would say, name it, know it, but then like, we got to find a way to tell a different story. 
Um, so figuring out, like leaning into that for ourselves, like, what is this story? What, what, um, do I want? What am I capable of? And I think for me, a huge part of that was surrounding myself with other disabled parents, um, like parents who are, are thinking about it this way. And, um, I don't know, that was a big, that was a huge deal breaker for me, like people. It sounds like, again, like another lack of resources. Because it's not like, you know, the doctor said X. And like I said earlier, um, they know more about what a doctor knows about, Mm -hmm. like medical stuff. So I feel like I should Mm -hmm. trust that, right? So that's why I don't speak. And I didn't speak up at the time or whatever. Is there a group for partners that are going through this and want to know how to ask their partners that have gone through that or with people with disability? It's kind of a bit of a mess when it comes to it. But, you know, you're talking about being super surprised that this is a new role. But what about parenting has so surprised much. you the most? <laughs> so much has surprised me. Um, yeah, I mean, if I'm being really honest, I think uh, this is like not a fun surprise for me to learn about myself. But I think that I, I didn't, this may be a two pronged surprise. I didn't realize um, how much I expected to be able to mold my child, um, like a little piece of clay, you know, like I was just gonna, um, you know, read him these books and, um, and not encourage these things. And he would just, you know, be, um, easy for me to understand in that way. And he, uh, he is, he is not a piece of clay that I have molded. Um, he came to me, uh, he came to us, very much himself. He's not a mini Rebecca and he's not a mini Micah. I mean, he is like himself. Um, and it's, it is just like, I mean, it's like, it's, it's wonderful and terrifying. I mean, it's all of that just to watch like, Oh, you are separate from me. You are your own person. I didn't realize, I don't think I would have talked about it that way. Like, Oh yes, I think I, I think I'll be able to just sort of, um, decoupage this baby and make him into whatever, but he his own person. So I guess I'm surprised to realize how, or kind of grapple with how much of parenting is really just me keeping him safe, um, helping him keep himself safe and, and just trying to help him harness just this, I don't know, like planet of energy that he is. So um, yes, it's a, it's a lot. Um, I mean, that, that feels like a very universal yeah. experience to have as a mom, right? Yeah. yeah. I think that, I hope so. I hope we all get to the point of realizing that if we don't know it already, like separate people, um, you know, like how can we just help you be more of you and, you know. Yeah, that's a really good point. So it's kind of wondering what is most physically challenging about parenting with a disability? And if you have any sort yeah, of yeah. life hacks. Yeah. That goes I mean, along I think for me, for my particular disability, I don't even know if we've even said this. Maybe, um, Ardra, maybe you introduced this. I use a wheelchair to get around, so I'm paralyzed. Um, and uh, so for me, like a, the biggest physical challenge um, ha- is tends to be around transportation, like transporting him. Um, so when he was really little, it was like figuring out how do I push my wheelchair and carry him at the same time? Or like, how am I going to get him in the car? And now, um, now he's running everywhere at speed of light. Um, and so that's like, how do we go places together? So, um, I think, you know, I think at each one of those stages, well, and the other thing I would add on top of that is that he, um, I, another thing, maybe another surprise of parenting was just like how quickly they change. So he is, you know, like 
as a disabled person, I'm very used to figuring out how to do something, but then I kind of get to do it that way every time. And he's like, you know, nothing with him so far has been the same like two months in a row. So he's, so it's like figuring out the thing and then figuring out it again and again and again. Right. Um, so I would say, um, we practice everything many, many times before I do it on my own. Um, so like Micah will be there as I'm figuring out and troubleshooting something. So like when we first started learning, how am I going to get auto into the car seat? We tried and troubleshot, like shot that together until I was very comfortable with it and I could do it on my own. Now, um, that looks like Micah and Otto and I all go, like, if we're going to go to a new place, we do it all together. We figure out like, what's our, what is our path going to be? We talk to Otto about how he sticks with mama when we're here or there. Um, we point out where the street is and where the sidewalk is. Like we just practice everything. Um, but you know, I, so that's like practical advice. I think though, if I could say like one thing, one piece of sort of deep hearted <laughs> advice that I received from another disabled mom, um, early on in this process, um, I was, I was really grappling and frustrated with the fact that, um, people were always trying to help me get auto in the car seat for me. Like they were kind of trying to take over that role for me. And, and I was just bristling at that so much. And in my, like trying to express why that was hard for me, I said something like, I can do it faster anyways, you know, like they're just getting in the way and I know what I'm doing. And my friend, which was kind of true at the time, but my friend was like, you know what, Rebecca, even if you weren't faster, even if it wasn't faster, you're his mom and you get like, that's something you get to do with him. And Oh my God. That, yes. Right. Like that Ugh. changed so much for me. Cause then I was like, we can do this slow and that can be like part of our thing. You know, like we can, we get to, um, what the thing that makes me his, like a good mom for auto isn't my speed at any of these things. It's like me showing up as myself and being present with him. So I, oh my God, Rebecca, I love this anecdote. And I, I feel again, this speaks to having to give people a pass because they want to help. I'm not mm. a parent, but I've had Uber drivers try to buckle my seatbelt for me. Ooh. You know, I've had uh, two friends at the same time notice my shoelace was untied and like dropped to their knees in a race to see who could tie it for me. And it's like, like slow your roll, you know, um, but I love this idea of like, this is how our family does it. And, you know, in our own time and like just protecting that space for yourself. I think that's really great advice. I, for people with MS, mobility can be a challenge. I think more so than that, fatigue is, is something that can be quite disabling. And so I think that's actually really good advice for honoring your pace, whatever that looks like. I want to ask you how you balance feeling like you have to prove that you're not just a good parent, but a capable one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's so hard. I don't know. I mean, this is very real for me. I feel like um, I do not leave the house without, I mean, like as soon as I leave the house, that's what I'm thinking about. As soon as we're in public, I'm con and I don't know how that compares to other disabled parents. I've never really checked in on that. Like, but for me, I'm very aware of being watched. I'm very aware of the way that people perceive me. Um, and because I think it's one thing to say, like, who cares mm -hmm. what anybody else thinks? 
But actually, there could be consequences right. if some busybody thinks you're not capable. Right, right, exactly. There are really high stakes for that, right? Like when we're talking about some of the ableism that you might receive as like a single person, it's like, oh, back off, that's annoying. But when it's like, when I see you as helpless and now you're a parent, there is so much more at stake in that. And I feel that anxiety and, and pressure when I'm out in the world. But I think I would, I just had this experience recently with Otto. Um, and it makes me think like two years in, maybe I am like starting to build some kind of calluses. I um, The thing for us right now is that he hates getting out of his car seat. It's just like, uh, well, he hates getting in too, but he also hates getting out. Like it's just all of it is terrible. Um, and so we have this driveway in front of our house, no garage or anything. So we're like out, all of our neighbors can see us for this ritual of him like protesting. And the other day he was just screaming. Like you could hear him down both streets and he is saying, um, I don't want to get out. So, like just screaming. There's like a neighbor across the street outside on a zoom, like just recording the whole thing. Um, and so I, like, I knew that the fastest way that I would, could end that would be to just like yank him out of his car seat and like force us to go inside and like hide from the world. But I was like, what he needs is, um, for his voice to be heard. He needs me to be calm. We need to move through this slowly. And I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to force him. I don't want to yank him. I want us to collaborate and it's going to be messy. And so I just like let him scream and I unbuckled him and I was like very calm and I gave him space. I went to go get the mail. He's still screaming. Um, I like, I didn't leave him. I could see him, but I just like went 10 feet to the side. Um, and eventually a grasshopper showed up and I was like, Oh, look, there's a grasshopper. Come on. And so like we, he like got out and looked at it and we like chased it to the backyard. So I was thinking about that later and thinking like, that is a moment where, um, it matters what people think of us, right? Like people are watching and they can see this. And my brain is like half of my brain is thinking like, Oh, I'm like picturing one day when they're going to like testify about how like my son screamed or whatever, you know, like something. And then also I was like, I showed up as his mom and I know how to take care of him. I know what he needs and I trust that. And I, I'm just going to have to lean into that as much as I can and take care of him and let, you know, like I'm still anxious about the world, but I think it's a matter of like tuning into that, that dynamic that I have with him as much as I can before I think about how people are perceiving things. I think what you said about calluses really struck mm. me because I think that's an unfortunate consequence is that we do have to sort of build this armor against other people's impressions. But I think that's also why it's so great what you are doing with your visibility and sharing your experience on social media, because change is slow, but it's sharing these stories that that is what really matters and what helps drive change. Yeah, it's so ingrained, like thinking what other people are thinking of you. It sort of conjures that scene in the book. Uh, I hope I'm not spoiling anything. But when you're trying to put groceries away and someone's staring at you, that's super awkward. But just creating those awkward spaces altogether, you just have to do that extra step of thinking. And yeah, coming to a sort of, I guess, agreement with yourself that you're, you're just going to get through this. So it's just extra. And it's a bit of an extra shield that you have to put up. But in terms of what other people think, I guess what I'm trying to ask is how does 
how does Micah sort of react uh, when someone throws shade yeah. or creates yeah. creates a sort of anxious it's environment interesting. around um, Does he react? I was actually talking to him about this recently um, because we talk about ableism and I mean, he was with me every step of during my dissertation of like studying disability studies and ableism and all the microaggressions of it and all of the, like, like all of it. We, we talk about it all the time. And yet um, he, he is a different experience than I do. And often when we're out in the world, he like doesn't pick up on a lot of stuff. He, he doesn't notice it until later. Right. And I'm like, did you see that? Did you hear that? Or like, um, uh, yeah, like he won't even, even if he, even if he does happen to clock something, it it's a, takes him a beat before he registers like the implication of that. Um, so I think the thing I am really grateful for with Micah is that um, he believes me when I say, you know, like, and there's, there's never any skepticism, like, oh, they weren't, were they really staring? Like he believes me, right? And he knows and trusts me. Um, but it is, um, it's something that I am like, we're like constantly, um, reflecting on together for him to be able to like, see that himself, because a lot of times, um, he's just slower too. And I think when you've lived your entire life in, um, or even not even your entire life, but just like when you were used to living in your body, um, and knowing what it's like, um, to move through the world, you just, um, are quicker to tune in and key into a lot of stuff. Um, and, and I'm just, I guess, seeing the gap between our lived experiences in that way. Um, I think it's, but you know, I think in my own experience, it's kind of interesting because my partner, Carrie, it's like, he didn't for a long time notice things and now he does start to notice. And then when he points them out, maybe I haven't noticed somebody staring oh interesting. right and then he will point it out and then I'll be pissed at him right <laughs> he can't win <laughs> he, d- he basically can't win yeah yeah no I just I want to you know I think people with MS especially but moms in general have guilt for you know, that mom guilt and I think with with MS or any disability there's this feeling of guilt about the things they maybe can't do with their children or this worry about how MS might impact their kids. Can you speak to that experience? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think on it, to be honest, I don't think that I really started to feel that until Otto was here. So like when he was just an imaginary baby or like a lump of clay, I was going to mold. Um, I, I didn't really process that. And then once he was here and especially once he started talking and I realized that he would one day grow up to tell his own story of what it was like to grow up with a disabled mom, I felt it suddenly felt very real and scary for me. And the idea that he would have a story where it might, where he might say like, yeah, this part of being the son of a disabled mom was hard. That was breathtaking to me to imagine. But I think what I have started to realize slowly um, and is becoming more real to me is just recognizing the inherent limitation built into parenthood for everyone, like every single parent. And I mean, like literally every single parent on earth has some kind of, if not many multiple um, 
powerful limitations of some kind, um, whether that's going to be like f- financial or um, maybe it's like education. I, I even, I'm like constantly thinking, oh, I wish I had like a childhood development degree. Like if I could just understand what was even happening, right? Maybe it's, um, maybe it's like a, um, like emotional awareness or self-awareness or um, like, Parents who don't have a sense of humor. I don't know what it is. Like, it's there's such all a kinds no. It's such a great point. Yes, it's such a great point. Well, and and like the idea that um, that we would somehow be able to avoid that, or that there's some version of parenting where it's like limitless. I have everything I need to be able to offer you. I mean, I think that the great grief that most parents get to at some point is like, I wish I had this for you. And I don't. And that doesn't mean that I don't have all of these other things to give you. Um, I have all of this to give you and I will give all of that to you. Um, And then hopefully, um, as I think I've experienced with my own parents, they gave me everything they had to offer. And then as you get older, you are able to fill in some gaps and you're able, there are other people around. Um, I think that as a parent, I want to be able to be everything to my son. I want to be 100% the sun and the moon and give every single thing he needs to him. But that's not even good for him, right? Like he needs bonds with other people. He needs to experience the great wide world and, and get gifts from all over as much as I'm greedy and want to be the only source of life for him. Um, and so we're all limited and all of our, you know, like our kids kind of... We all need to scrape our yes. knees. Yes, yes. you got to go yes. through some yes. shit, right? Yes. Yeah, it helps. It helps totally. you think. It helps you think, and it builds character and all that sort of old school stuff. But you know, it does to a certain extent work. You know, you can't have a bubble around you all the time. Yeah, it's a built-in deal. Exactly. Yeah, something I kind of maybe thought about for a microsecond, but you know, because my aunt, my aunt has had MS since the eighties, so it was in my family. Um, so. I was thinking like some people worry about, you know, passing MS along to their kids. The risk is very low, but it's not nothing. But what advice would you have for people who are thinking about starting a family uh, on somewhat uncertain futures? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I don't want to be trite about that. I know that that's a um, real thing to consider and that people um, can kind of grapple with on their own. But I I also think... um, I, I know that uncertainty is kind of just built in to our world and into living here. Uncertainty is a part of living. And I think the idea, I think that sort of it's a great fiction that we all cling to, myself included, that life can be certain, um, that there, you know, that we can like create a path that it's going to go the way that we plan because we did all the steps, you know, and this is, I mean, but the thing is, and it's not just disability, it's not just, it's not just uncertainty in our bodies, like, um, you know, what's going to happen to our planet in the next few decades? What's, what about, yes, like global pandemics in the, in the States. It's like, what's going to happen to democracy? I don't know. Like this is so... all birth control for me. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, it's honestly, it's, it's really, it's real. And it's, so it's I guess scary. all that to say, like the more that we can develop strength around uncertainty and bring uncertainty close and know that that is just part of life. I think this, the more equipped we are for any part of it, whether we have kids or not. So um, I don't want to be flippant, but I do Pop think at the end of the day that that's, that's again, built in. Um, limitations are built in. Right. Okay. Uncertainty is built in. This is a part of the fabric of life. Yeah. I think there's, 
we grow up with this, at least in my experience, this sort of illusion of choice. And uh, I was talking to a friend about this recently, and he said this, but you have an illusion of choice. You have this, I'm going to grow up, I'm going to get married, I'm going to have kids and, and follow this formula. But then you get there and you can't have kids or you're told you can't have kids and you don't know how to question it and and all that sort of stuff that comes with it. And it's uncertain mm -hmm, and it's mm -hmm. hard. Um, and you can't just say, oh, I'm going to blow it off or I'm going to cop out. But there's just there yeah. really isn't the choice. Right. Well, I think especially when it comes to having a kid, like um, we think about like, oh, my kid might have this. Um, I don't know, some kind of genetic marker of some kind or the other. But it's like the thing is your kid could be and will be anything like when you have a kid that kid could be any kind of kid and as he grows up anything could happen and he could like like anything i mean when we think about having a second kid we're like this child could be any kind of human we don't know i mean that that again like i think that we have built a lot of fiction into like how much control we have over who our kids are and who they I mean, they are their own people and that is true in always. So, I mean, I also want to say that, of course, I wouldn't wish an MS diagnosis on anyone's child, but I think it's important that we don't double down on this narrative that a life with MS is not a livable one, right? So yeah, I, I think like the idea of maybe I don't want to have kids because I'm worried about passing MS along is is an unsettling message for me. I, I of course, would prefer life without MS, but I'm glad I'm here. And, you know, my life is is pretty full um, already. So yeah, it's, I mean, these are murky, big, big things to question and everyone has to do what's right for them. But it's certainly, it can be a bit of a scary message to say, you know, anyway. Yeah. Well, and I think like, to, to be honest, I think that like, and this became clear to me after Otto was born, I guess, because I, I realized again, like how little control there is. But like, I think that if you are, if you are worried about, um, or thinking like, I can't have a kid who might have MS or, or something like that, it's, it, it feels like maybe you don't want to have a kid at all. Yeah. Because yeah. all of the, maybe that's what that means because there are so many things that might happen to this child and, and, and probably this kid will not be what you imagine probably in some ways. And so if that's too difficult or if that feels like, I don't, I don't, if that is not a choice you want to make, then maybe that means that you don't want to have a kid. Which is fine. It's, you, yeah, not everybody no. has to have a child. There's yeah. so many beautiful things about being, um, you know, without a child to take care of also. So there's beauty on, beauty on both sides. Rebecca, what is something positive your disabled experience brings to your parenting? Yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot. I think I, I think I, it feels like presence that I'm kind of unfolding as I go through life, like as with him. Um, but I think, I think one thing that is sort of coming to me as we've had this conversation and is thinking that um, in a lot of ways, I think that um, my disability forces me to be the parent that I would like to be or want to be. I think that. I would like to be the kind of parent who moves slowly with my son, who is there uh, present with him to like take the detour and like notice the thing on the path as we're going along. And I think that my disability um, 
kind of forces me to do that, even when it's inconvenient, even when if I was able to do something else, I might. Um, I think it forces me um, to collaborate with him more um, instead of forcing him to do things more. Um, I want to be that parent. And so I'm grateful that I'm kind of like pushed in that direction. And I think that that spreads to our whole family ecosystem, um, that we're able to sort of follow a different path, um, a slower path, a meandering path, a collaborative path. Um, and I don't know that we would do that. Um, cause there's lots of otherwise, I think there's lots of ways in which having a toddler, um, kind of, um, brings out a side of you of like, no, this is what we're doing and we have to do it now. And I don't want to be that parent. And so I am grateful that I have lots of um, encouragement to do things a different way. I mean, modern life is so busy and so fast paced. I would argue that people with chronic illness or disabilities actually do have to take more time to be thoughtful and to to think about how they're going to parent and be maybe be more intentional than you could if you were otherwise kind of doing it off the cuff. So mm-hmm, I think it's mm-hmm. I um, you get to stop and hang out with grasshoppers from time yes, to time. I think yeah. that's really beautiful. Yeah. Rebecca, I could talk to you all damn day. I don't even Same. have kids, but oh my God, this <laughs> conversation just blew by. Mm. Thank you for being here. You can follow Rebecca um, on Insta. Uh, it's Sitting Pretty. Her book is also called Sitting Pretty. Trippers, parenting is hard regardless of ability. Parenting with MS might involve some thoughtful considerations, some additional support, but in most cases, MS doesn't have to stop you from parenting if that's your jam. And here's some good news. Research from the National Council on Disability shows that children of disabled people grow up to have better than average coping and problem-solving skills. They have a greater acceptance of difference. They're more empathetic. Kids with disabled parents tend not to sweat the small stuff. Parenting isn't about being able to run or climb stairs. Parenting is about loving, supporting, teaching, and nurturing. MS can't take those skills away from you. So go forth and multiply, Trippers. Thanks for listening. And thanks again, Rebecca, for being here. Thank you. I really could talk to you all day. So thank you for this time. This was awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Tripping On Air. Don't forget to visit us at trippingonair.com. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, 
and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts. Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts.